0: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and the rumors that we were doing a live show this morning were not rumors. They were in fact true. Uh, Sorry, we're getting a little bit of a late start here this morning because it happens ask them over at Netflix. It happens. Uh, So uh, we're excited, though, to be here live again. We haven't been doing a lot of live shows the last couple of weeks because we had so much programming from the 44-hour podcast-a-thon. We were re-airing that, and we all needed a breath here. And we wanted to make sure that you guys saw that really good content. But we're back in the swing. We are doing live shows. And today is a perfect example of that. Good morning, our journey, Cameron's New Life. So thrilled to be here with you live. That's an example of how you guys can participate. If you're watching us live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, or about a dozen other sites, Traven, our fabulous Traven, is going to show you in just a second some of the different ways that you could be watching us live and some of the ways that you could be watching us In other ways, too. But if you're watching us live, you can be writing in right now on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and it shows up magically here in my screen. That's how I just said hello to our Journey Cameron's New Life. So, And we love interaction. Interaction is the most fun thing that we do here. We want to know that the content that we're putting out gets to you guys and that you may not agree with it. It might fire you up. There's a lot we're going to be talking about today. I hope you get fired up with me. I'm fired up. Um, but we, we want you to ask questions. We want, um, to know what kinds of things that you're looking forward to watching on the show, because our whole goal here is to provide information and inspiration. So we hope that you'll participate want to let you know, too, as Traven gets around to showing you um, like all these places where you can watch us live and where you can watch us recorded as a podcast. We are every place that you can download a podcast. We're there, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all these different places. So we hope that you're catching up on shows that maybe you haven't seen in the last 12 years that we've been doing this. Just 12 years, short block, walk around the block, right? Um, but we hope that you're searching topics, too, to see if there's something that's already been covered On our show by an expert or someone, you know, talking about it from their point of view. We we always say here that for this show, our, our goal is to reach that larger autism community that starts, of course, with individuals who are on the autism spectrum themselves, of course, right? Because they're the beating heart of our community. But we also include in that group everyone who loves those individuals, everyone who wants to be supportive, to be a good ally, be a good accomplice to folks that are on the spectrum. Because I know firsthand that... You know, there are things that I don't know that I want to know. I, uh, As you guys know, if you watch the show, I identify as a pony. (laughs) I love saying that. Still, it hasn't worn off. I am a parent of a neurodiverse individual. Those are the words that he has given me that I can use to describe myself because that's what I am, a parent of a neurodiverse individual. The way I have described myself has changed vastly over the years. My son was diagnosed uh, over 17 years ago. He's now about to be 20. He was two and a half at the time, and uh, I used different words then. So the one thing I will say is if you're going back through the archives, sometimes you will hear me say things that I don't say anymore, because I would like to think that I have grown and learned, right? Uh, Which we should all be growing and learning, right? To be the best possible advocates the best possible allies, and to be the best possible accomplices. I love Amy Gravino's talk on being an accomplice. Uh, Our Journey, Cameron's New Life, says we're dealing with a lot of self-injurious behavior. It's very hard, hard to experience. Yes, self-injurious behavior. We're going to touch on that a little bit today, but just a smoosh. But I got to say, self-injurious behavior, when that is happening, it is critical, critical that you get professional eyes on that. So I know you've been through the ringer with getting services, but I would call your insurance company today and tell them that they have to get you a BCBA, that I know you have coverage for that, so you they need to find you a BCBA and that you need to talk to somebody today because your child is engaging in self-injurious behavior. That is not something that you can let go. That's not something I can advise you to let go. It's not something that I can tell you wh- how to fix it because it's so specific with self-injurious behavior, and it could be that it's serious. Uh, I don't want to say could be. It is serious. When somebody is injuring themselves or other people, it is serious. So, But it could be life-threatening serious. That's what I was sort of pussyfooting around, but let's say it. So I want you to promise me that you're going to put in a call today and say I need help today um, and let me know that that, that that has happened, okay? Because that's, that's really serious, and I'm going to be worried for you and for him. So let's, you know, we're keeping you in our thoughts and our prayers. I know that it's difficult, but you got to get some help today. Okay. Um, but, uh, in addition to having said that we are going to be talking a little bit today about an area that is, I would say pretty incendiary that people get very hepped up. I'm hepped up about this topic and I get hepped up. Uh, she says, okay, he's biting me, hitting himself in the head. Okay. So you got to get some help for that because there's lots of different reasons why he's biting you. That's communication and why he's hitting himself in the head. I don't know why. I don't know why. And I would say to you, it's likely that maybe you have a suspicion, but you don't know why. And there are very specific reasons why people hit themselves in the head. It's not okay. And I am someone who, as a parent, when my son was younger, he would throw himself on the floor and start hitting his head on the kitchen floor. Hitting the head, very specific. But if I were to say to you, oh, it could be this or it could be that, who knows? you got to have an expert. Okay, I'm sending you a hug right? And if you need to, reach out to me, okay? Let's make sure that you get the help that you need today. And that goes for anybody else who's going through that. The truth of the matter is, is that all behavior is communication, right? And something is being communicated, but if you don't have the decoder ring to figure out what's being communicated, then we run the risk of doing something that could make it worse. And we can't, we don't, we can't afford that when it's self-injurious behavior, right? Because he could hurt himself badly in a way that's permanent. So let's not Okay, email me. Wonderful. She says I won't email you. All right, wonderful. So um, I want to say that we have lots of experts on the show, as you know. Um, But on Mondays, typically, we do a parent-to-parent talk, and I'm the one who's usually doing the talk, although we're going to have some other people guesting soon. And I'm a parent. I'm not an expert in the field of autism. I'm somebody who's been in in this chair for a really long time, over 12 years in this chair covering autism and talking to experts, which, you know, that doesn't make me an expert. It makes me somebody who has an informed opinion. Sure. I'll go with you there, but I'm not an expert. So, um, but I do think that what is valid and why we call these parent to parent is that there is a portion of this that I've had experts here and I'm gonna continue to have experts talking to you about stimming and it's important to get their point of view on it too, but sometimes you need to hear it from the social emotional uh, person who's been through it and who's talked to a lot of other parents. That's what we're doing here. This is not supposed to take the, the place of advice from an expert, but just try to give you a place where you can come as a parent and get good information from another parent who takes into consideration what it feels like to be a parent, which is different than what it feels like to be the person on the spectrum. Right? Yep. Big hug. Um, So we are going to talk today about stimming and the 10 things that I think that every parent should know about stimming. And I want to start with everybody take a deep breath because it may be that the things that I'm going to say about stimming are not the things that you thought I was going to say about stimming. I can hear All of my friends who are on the spectrum going, wait a second, why do you get an opinion about this? Stay, listen to what I have to say, and then see if you don't agree with what I'm saying. Uh, I would love to know, because I always want to be a good ally, right? Uh, So let's launch into this. Um, And I don't know if you can see my little subheading on it. Uh, It's 10 things every parent should know about stimming, because everyone does it, including you we all stim. So let's get let's get launched right into this PowerPoint because the first thing that I want us all to know, oops, I'm, I clicked the wrong one, <laughs> is everyone stims. Absolutely everybody stims. Let's back up the bus a little bit and talk about what stimming is because this is a hot button for me. When my son he hadn't yet been diagnosed. We were a couple of weeks away from being diagnosed, and they sent me to get an evaluation from um, this place. That And it was a, I think she was an occupational therapist. I, and there were they also had speech and language pathologists there too. But she was just doing an evaluation about what kinds of things that he was doing. And it was the first person that I was sent to that I could actually ask some questions, right? And at one point she said to me, um, did I have any questions? And he, at that moment, he started doing something. And at the time, I don't even remember what it was. But it was something that I didn't understand. So I said to her, I said, what is that thing that he's doing and why is he doing it? And she said, oh, he's stimming. That's what he's doing. He's stimming. And, and I said, well, what is that and why is he doing it? And you know what? That was a good question. And she glossed right over that thing. And she said, oh, well, it's stimming. And it doesn't really have a purpose. <clears throat> wrong answer. <laughs> Total wrong answer from the first expert that I ever met about stimming. Now, does that mean we throw her away and go, you know, she knows nothing? No, no. Uh, She knew some good things, right? She gave me some information that helped me to go places to get more help. But in this aspect, she didn't know what she was talking about. And you know what should have been my first clue? Was that when I said, what is stimming? She kept saying to me, it's stimming. She couldn't tell me what stim stood for. And what stimming is, it's a phrase that people use all over the place. uh, And it's short for self-stimulatory behavior. But it's often used incorrectly. And I as soon as I knew when I talked to like three other experts, and I was like what is what is stimming what and they oh it 's self stimulatory behavior and i remember going i don 't think he 's doing that to stimulate himself I think he 's doing that to calm himself down and and there we are there was there is the rub that When people say stim, often they're using the term wrong, but we're going to discuss it because that is the term that people use. But I want you guys to know that really what we're talking about is automatically reinforced behavior. And that is not without a purpose. Just the other day on Facebook, I saw an expert saying something about how, oh, you know, stimming, it's behavior without a purpose. Eh, Wrong that's just wrong when we engage in a behavior and we do it over and over and over again we do it for a reason there is no random there is no weird there is no odd there is a reason it's just that the reason may not be known to us on the outside that doesn't mean that there isn't a reason you ever watch somebody do something and go i wonder why they're doing that i can't tell i you know just somebody's license plate i would love to go up to people and go what does your license plate mean right? I don't automatically assume when I see you know, a pattern of letters, I go, oh, it's just random. It's just random, right? I don't assume that. I want to know what the story is behind it. We should all be that curious about self-stimulatory behavior and automatically reinforced behavior. Now, for the rest of this talk, I'm going to talk about stimming, but I want us all to know that what I'm really talking about is that automatically reinforced behavior, that there is some reason why I'm doing it, it's just, it's an inside job. I know what it is. It's serving a purpose um, for me, which is why I'm doing it. But I may not have shared that information with you. I may not be able to share that information with you. I may not be able to even put it into word terms for myself, but I'm doing it for a reason, right? There is a reason. And we all, all of us do this, when people say, "Well, we need to get rid of the stimming." I'm like, what planet are you on? Because we stim for a reason and we all do it. Often the people who are like, "Well, we need to stop that stimming behavior," are sitting there and and doing something like this or they're playing with a scoosh on their desk. They're they're doing or they're bouncing their leg or oh my gosh, the people with the long hair. <laughs> like there's a whole culture of girls who just Play with their hair while they're talking to you. And let me tell you about this. That girl is engaging in that behavior for a reason. Are there some self-stimulatory, automatic reinforcing behaviors that other people do that drive you crazy? Yes. Yes, there are. And we all, what do we do? When I see a girl and she's playing with her hair, especially in a business situation, I want to say, can we stop that? But that's not appropriate. That's not my business to tell her what she can and cannot do right? But it, does it drive me bonkers? For sure. Too bad. That's my problem, not her problem. But you know, tell that girl who's like playing with her hair endlessly and talking and doing the thing with her hair and whatever, that it's perfectly okay for her brother to rock when he's in public. And she's like, he has to stop that. Drives me crazy. We all stim. There are reasons why we stim. Okay. So be aware of the fact that when for parents that when you are talking about your child's automatic reinforcing their stimming, think about what yours is and would you want someone to rip that away from you? No, because it serves a purpose. So we got to be mindful of that. Okay. I did it again. I clicked the wrong thing. Okay. So I already t- I mentioned this that stimming serves a purpose. The behavior analysts call this the function of a behavior. You probably couldn't hear it, but I'm bouncing my leg right now, uh, right? It serves a person, a purpose. I'm nervous because, oh, I just covered that on the last slide. That wasn't the best thing I could have done. So that comes out of my leg that's bouncing. Is it okay? You can't see it. It's, you know, it's not really interrupting anything. It's perfectly okay that that's what I'm doing. Uh, I was watching Ted Lasso last night, and he's doing the things with his thumbs, right? That's, that's what he does. Stimming serves a purpose. Now, sometimes it's to calm us down. Sometimes it's to soothe us. Sometimes it's to stimulate us so that we can get, you know, ready for something. Sometimes it's because we're in pain or we feel dizzy or we're hungry or we're tired. I mean, you know, we, we do it. It helps us to concentrate. The executive who clicks his pen you know, helps him to create and come up with ideas, but it all has a purpose. All of it has a purpose. And once we get into that mindset, we can look at it in a different way. It serves a purpose. So if it serves a purpose before attempting to change or eliminate a STEM, you should consider what its purpose is and if it's harming anyone. So when I meet new parents, who have kids that, um, have recently been diagnosed one of the, and I'll say to them, you know, what, what questions do you have for me? What are you worried about? What are your concerns? What's going on? Right. And usually it'll take us a little while to wind down to what we're concerned about, but somewhere in the middle of all that, I will hear from parents. Well, my child can't speak. And that's, you know, really worrying me because I was planned on talking to my child, right? Uh, And I have feelings about that. And I tell them, yep, you're going to have feelings about that. Let's get busy seeing, let's make sure that your child can communicate, whether it's speech or something else. Let's give your child functional communication, right? They will talk about what we were just talking about with Our Journey Cameron's New Life, that their child might be engaging in behavior that hurts them or others. That's very, very concerning. They might talk about their child not sleeping, right? Um, But at some point, they will say something like, and they're doing this thing, whatever it is that they do kind of repetitively. And, you know, I'll hear any, there's a whole spectrum of responses to it. Either it's driving me crazy or it's going to make them stick out in it and they're going to be made fun of, right? There's some. At some point, the parent expresses concern about this behavior and it's tied to what the parent feels. I think it's really important to acknowledge that. Let's not poo-poo it. Let's not guilt anybody. You have your feelings. Your feelings are your feelings. But before we go in and say we're going to change that behavior, let's acknowledge that. Let's acknowledge that, you know, first of all, that it's serving a purpose for them and that you're having feelings with it. And sometimes we need to go in and change a behavior because if they're hitting themselves in the head, that's not a behavior that we can say, eh, let's let it ride, right? So I always think it's important that when we're talking about these stim behaviors, let's look at it and go, what's the purpose of it? And is it harming anyone or anything? Now, this is a very nuanced question. Because if they're hitting themselves in the head, easy. We go, no, 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 no. That's a behavior we can't stick with, right? But um, then we get into the ones that are harder, that you, maybe your child is flapping their hands. And you're like, mm, the it looks a certain way to other people and, you know, they got made fun of at the family reunion and what's going to happen when they're in third grade, right? Uh, and a lot of people, especially a lot of um, self-advocates will tell you, you know, that's, this, this is what they're doing to calm themselves down. So leave it alone. And to a certain extent, I I will agree to a certain extent, but if, if this is somebody that wants to communicate, is it preventing them from being able to communicate in all the forms of communication there are? Because if this is a, a, a first grader and we're trying to teach them how to hold a pencil to write their name, right? Are they able to do that or do they constantly have to um, shake their hands? Because then we might say, okay, I don't want to take the, the shaking the hands away, but I want them to be able to hold a pencil so that they can move on to being able to write their name, being able to answer questions, being able to type, all, you know, eat. If, they can all, if all they can do um, is uh, flap their hands, then is it going to get in the way of something else? There, right? Right. So we have to put it through this litmus test of is it harming them or someone else? Because if it isn't harming anybody, maybe we don't want to even deal with it right now. Maybe later on, if we see that it's harming their ability to do something else, then we can take steps that are kind and considerate of the individual because that is at the core of everything here. Um, okay, so here's my little cautionary tale here that you should never seek to change or eliminate a stim without teaching slash creating a different way for the individual to meet the need that the stim was giving. All right, this just makes sense, right? If I am flapping my hands, and if I accept that there is a reason why I am flapping my hands, and we decide, well, the flapping of the hands is preventing this person from being able to eat. Therefore, we need to work on this a little bit. We can't just say, well, let's stop the hand flapping that is not the way you get this done. If there is a purpose behind the hand flapping, what we need to do is we need to identify another, first of all, what is it giving them, and can we give this to them in another way that meets the need but doesn't prevent them from doing the things that they wanna do? Any other attempt to deal with these kinds of behaviors is, First of all, I'm not going to be successful because if, if I need that, then if you try to take it away, I'm going to be stealthy about it, but I'm still going to get my need met because it's a need. It's not a desire. It's not a hope. It's a need, right? So I'm not going to be successful if I don't look at it this way, but it's also cruel. It's cruel to say to somebody, oh, I see that you're doing that to calm yourself down, but we're going to stop that right now. You know why? Because it makes me nervous. Or it's preventing you from eating, but still, if it's a need, it has to be met, all right? So that's why we got to know what the function of this stim is first. And as we said from the beginning, it's an inside job. I might have to, like, be really stealthy, put on my Sherlock hat, and try to figure out what do I think the need is that's being met here. Um, but then I can teach other ways to get the need met. Um Oh, this is so important to me. We should all be more tolerant of people's STEM behaviors. It's called perspective taking. So a few years ago, I love to watch Big Brother. Do you guys watch Big Brother? In the summer, they always lock up a bunch of people into a house and they put cameras on them and it's just ridiculous television and I thoroughly enjoy it. And many years ago, there was this young gentleman who was on who did not disclose his diagnosis and he went on to win the show. And I loved that because I looked at him and I went, "Oh, I think I think he's part of our family, but I don't know because I don't diagnose right." But he seems like he's part of our family. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's one of us, one of our tribe. And and I was so excited for him. And he and it, it's a social game, and he won. So I thought that was really really clever. And then they ha- then after he won he. Openly disclosed that he was on the autism spectrum and said, You know, I I didn't want to say while I was in there because I didn't want it to become about that. And, you know, and look, I went on to win. Woo, we celebrate it. So then they have the all stars and they invite all these people back that have been on the show before and they invite Ian back on, on the show. But now everybody knows. And it was just fascinating to me to see how people dealt with him. And it made me furious. And there was a firestorm on the internet about it because uh, people would be, they would, you know, put themselves in other bedrooms and they would say, oh, did you see what he was doing? It was so weird. He was rocking. Did you see when we were in the meeting and he was rocking? I can't believe, it just makes me nervous. I don't know what to do when he's rocking. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, then they would the producers were very clever. They would go to a shot of them all sitting on the couch together and there's Ian and he's rocking, right? But he's not bothering anybody, really. He's not touching anybody. He's not hurting anybody. It was just this girl who was like, it's so weird. Meanwhile, they show her and she has her legs crossed and is bobbing her leg like it is a metronome. And she's like, it's so weird. It's so weird that he's rocking. Um, And I thought... I'll be honest with you, I really did not care for her. Uh, I'm still not going to like her. But here's what happened after that, is that the Internet went after her, and she lost jobs because of her saying that. And, And people pointed out there was your leg bobbing, and, you know, that makes me feel weird and odd. And, you know, she more than got it back. It's not good for anybody. When we see people that are engaging in behavior we need to put it through a filter about who are we and what are we doing and what's your stem, and who, who does it drive crazy? Listen, there are people who watch this show and they write in and they will say things to me. Um, and I think, oh, you know, karma, (laughs) you know, because I do, I engage in behavior on this show and sometimes it's making people crazy. Um, and other people don't mind it, but We all need to be a little bit more mindful of the fact that that person is doing that because it's important for them, right? And not be in judgment of them because when we are in judgment of them, it's going to come back around us. And you know that I said over the weekend, what happened to the phrase do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Where did that go in life? It's so funny to me that we talk all the time about how folks on the spectrum have trouble perspective-taking. Excuse me. I think that neurotypical people, myself included, sometimes it's us having trouble with the perspective-taking. So... Not only do I say to parents, do we need to be mindful and more tolerant of our children's stims, but we need to teach that to other people. And so when somebody comes to you, when the teacher comes to you and says, oh, well, your child is doing... And, you know, we can't have stimming behavior, that we come from a place of educating that teacher. Somebody asked me recently at a conference, they're like, what do you say to a parent when they're saying, oh, you know, we've got to stop this stimming behavior, and this is what I would say to a teacher who's saying that, is what I do is I look to try to see what they are doing, because it's all, it's all visible. We're all stimming all the time, you know? And, um, and I'll say to them, oh, well, you know, it's like what you're doing right there with your foot. Maybe we should work on that. Have you thought about changing that? I don't think you should be doing that anymore. And they go, oh, and they're affronted. That's how we all need to feel, about saying that somebody's stim should just stop. It's not appropriate. It's rude. It's rude. So let's not do that. Um, okay. Some stims don't need to be changed or eliminated, but it might be appropriate to set guidelines about when, where, and how often the behavior can be engaged in. This is super important because some of you, and, I'm, and uh, Brian, I see you've written and I'm going to get to your question in just a second. Some of you are going to f- it's it's real when somebody is doing something that makes you crazy, right? Uh, my son used to walk around my house and go dog 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 till I thought that I was gonna like you know take my eyeballs and scratch them on a stucco wall because you just are like I can't handle it anymore. It it hits your sensory um, things, and there are some behaviors that people need to engage in that we're not we're not gonna be able to meet the need another way, not the same need. We can work and have it be close, but sometimes it's easier to say to somebody, yes, you can do that. It's just there's a time and a place that's appropriate and other times and places that aren't appropriate. One of the great things about folks on the spectrum is that they tend to, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of them tend to be very rule-governed and, and, and in, a, in a great way which is very socially enlightened if you think about it. So, you know, we would say to, um, somebody, well, it's not appropriate to take your pants off in public, right? You can't expose yourself. And that's, that's a rule that we can give people who are on the autism spectrum. We can say, Oh, you know, we don't, we don't take our pants and our underwear off in public, but you can absolutely do it in the bathroom. Um, and and we start with things like that. I always love to use the example of Temple Grandin and her mom because Temple still talks about how there was a metal plate on her bed that she loved to spin and turn. And I've had many conversations with her and said, why? Like, what was the thing with the metal thing on the bed? And she says, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, it's so – have you tried it? And she says, you know, you turn it and, it and you move it depending on where the light is in the day, like – it, it changes colors. And if you go fast, there's different colors. And if you go slow, there's different colors. And if you turn the direction and if it's morning or it's, you know, night, like it's constantly changing. She says, this is really amazing. You should take a look at it. And instead of her mother didn't, her mother noticed it and saw that she was doing it and didn't say, that's it temple. You know, I know it's visually exciting to you, but you can't have it anymore. What she said was you can do that one hour a day, but the rest of the day you gotta be studying and you gotta be drawing horses and you gotta be mucking the stall. And she found a nice mix of things that she knew that Temple was really into and other things that were, where it would make her grow and that she would learn new things. But she didn't say you can't ever do that. And you know, I don't know, I need to ask you, Stasia, if it was just arbitrary an hour a day, or you know, did they sort of work it out and figure out what was the right amount to hold her? Because if it's not, and I think that's our next one, is it's still important that the need of the STEM be fully met for the individual. So, you know, for Temple, at some point they did figure out that an hour a day was enough for her to have the need met. Think about some of the things that you kind of love to do compulsively. I don't know about you, but I'm playing this really stupid game on my phone um, that I started playing last fall when I was laid up with COVID and I, and I had to find something to do that would keep me, you know, resting, but, um, you know, keep me involved. And I, and I started playing this stupid game and I'm, I'm still playing it. But I can't play the game all day. But I enjoy coming home after work and, you know, when it's time to go to bed and wind down, I enjoy playing the game on my phone for a reasonable amount of time, right? Um, it's very calming to me. But I could never do what I do in a day if I was playing it all day long, right? And that's what Eustacia looked at Temple and said. And, but I think it would be hard at this point if I just went cold turkey and said I'm not going to play the game at all, right? Because it's part of my regimen for keeping myself calm and centered right now don't automatically assume anything. When we're looking at stim behavior, you want to try to figure out what the function is and how the person can continue to get that need met without it disrupting their life, not yours. Keep yourself out of it, right? Their life. What are they learning? How are they learning? If all like somebody wrote in the other day and said that their child likes to spit on their hands and play with the spit. This is very common. We hear this tale all the time the problem is if they're in second grade and they're playing with the spit on their hands first of all they're not focused on the lesson right second of all we live in the world of covid that's a bodily fluid they're going to get kicked out of that classroom uh, right it's not going to conform to what the safety standards are to be spitting and playing with it and getting it all over your hands And then third, socially, you know, the other kids are going to start to make fun of this person. That's not the reason to change it. It isn't. It's a consideration of what this child's life is like, and it's a consideration of what these little hoodlums who want to bully him are like, and what the teacher should be doing to circumvent that. But the other two things are the two things that are important. If they're playing with the spit in their hands, they're not learning— They're not focused on the lesson. I'm assuming that. That may not be true. But for sure, there is a health concern right now because of COVID. They're going to get moved to a classroom where they're isolated, which might not be a good thing for this individual. But there is a sensory need that needs to be met. Now, this child might be somebody that we can say, you know, put those guidelines and say, you can only do this when you get home from school, and then you have to wash your hands. And that might be enough for this child. But for some children, that sensory need might be so great that they still are doing it in the classroom. One of the things that I recommended to the parent who wrote to us is that they make these, if it's, if we find that it's a tactile thing, they make these silky blankets that um, that are really small. Sometimes they're stuffed animals, even that vibrate. Um, that kids often, it has the same feeling of the silkiness of the, the spit. For other kids, it's a visual stim. And they want to see, you know, the rainbows, the colors in their spit when you stretch it. I know it's one of those things like I never would have thought of that before, but I've talked to so many people and they're like, oh no, look, when you take water, like the kids who splash, sometimes it's the way it feels, but sometimes it's the colors. If you ask Wyatt Jackson, who paints all the time and he loves to splash and he says, because I get to see the colors, all the colors. He's a painter and he's seeing the colors. So... For those, you know, it, it, we're, we're going to look at it lots of different ways. We might be able to get the need met with something else. Sometimes there are those fidget spinners that have, um, what am I trying to say? Um, it's, it's like a, the, the surface of a CD. It's uh, like a prism, and they, they will flash different colors. Some of them actually even light up, right? We find something that works for the individual so that they can stay doing what they really want and need to do. Okay, I'm going to stop for just a second and read question, uh, Brian's question. Good morning, Shannon. Uh, looking great. Well, the hair, there's not much we can do with it at this point, right? Our son is stepping into summer soon. After eight months' uh, kinder time at Montessori schools, we are lining up Montessori math tutor. And he thought he is going to be so bored because he didn't get into summer school club. Oh, that, that bites. I hope he does not regress. Sadly, I expect it will happen. Uh, and they say that their version is endless verbal scripting. We simply cannot reach him. Pushy interruption to stop it is a no or a meltdown will occur. This hurts him socially bad. The stimming is endless repetition of his nonsense words, uh, or start to end many times a video solar system learning song. Oh, um, okay. So interesting. Interesting. First of all, I'm, I share your concern about the summer thing. We, I don't know which day it is. It might be next week. Or, uh, sometime in May, we're doing the parent, parent, uh, parent-to-parent talk about summer and how to get the most out of summer. But I will tell you that it's vital that he not be bored. Absolutely vital that he not be bored. I also am wondering... Um, Uh, Well, we're not that far in our autism journey with Elijah. We're not that far in. So don't worry. But I'm wondering, Brian, uh, because I don't remember, but if he's kinder, is he ever, um, I don't know, cognitively, tell me if, are you able to ask him about the things that he's saying? Or is he too busy saying them to respond to them? Um, and what happens and this is a very like interesting choice but what happens if you repeat what he says does it interrupt his pattern um, I, I would be very cautious about doing that because sometimes it makes kids angry if they're saying something and you repeat it 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 can it can cause uh, an anger response so do it sparingly um, but I I'm, I'm wondering because I will tell you that my son was somebody who vocally stimmed and um and this is not necessarily the case with your son. Let's just be honest about this from that all everybody's different, right? But I I'm telling you this just because it was interesting later on to say to him what was that. Um and he said that it like the noises made noises in his head and that if there were no noises in his head or there were noises that he couldn't decipher that the noise if that he could make the noises in his head and it would make the other (laughs) excuse me (coughs) the other noises recede um so that then he wouldn't have to try to figure out what they were right it was a way of controlling what he was hearing so um and and I remember the day that Peter Farragh sat with him because I thought, oh, because I understand, you know, he was being and about to be bullied harshly at school, and they were talking about not having him be in the classroom that he ended up in, the mainstream classroom, because he was making all these noises. He sounded like R2-D2 is what he sounded like. But um, Peter sat there with him, and Jem made the noise, and then Peter made the noise, and Jem you know, got affronted and was not happy about it. And then Peter made the noise and said, did you hear me make that noise? Now we had already worked through perspective taking with sensory issues with him. So we already had that precursor in, but so Peter said to him, did you, oh, did you hear me when I did that? And Jen was like, yeah, I heard you. And, um, And Peter said, "Okay, now I'm going to make that noise and I'm going to make it inside my head and tell me if you can hear it. And so Peter made the noise and he kind of did something with his eyebrows in his head. He made the noise. And and he said to Jem, did you hear me? And Jem said, no. Did you make the noise? And he said, yeah, but I did it inside my head. And and he said to Jem, Can you do that? And Jem thought about it for a second, and then Jem kinda did something, and he said to Peter, Did you hear that? And Peter said, No, I didn't hear that. And he said, and Jem, Peter said to Jem, Did you know that you could be doing that inside your head all the time? And if nobody else can hear it, it doesn't bother anybody else. And Jem kind of was like, What? <laughs> and and then most of the noises went away. It was only in extreme times that, when he was extremely happy or extremely, you know, concerned about something, that we would hear the noises again. So I do want to say to you, there's something going on that it's worth looking at to figure out: is he bored? Is is he finding like, if you put headphones on him to close out the rest of the world and the rest of the noises, does he still script? Um, Because that would be a a clue, right, um, that he's doing it regardless of what he's hearing. But if you put the headphones on and he doesn't script anymore, then that would suggest to me that it at least has something to do with sensory overload from, from what he's hearing. Um, but um, there could be lots of, of different reasons why. Um, but I, I would also wanna look at yeast. Um, and remember, I'm not an expert. But we should talk sometime. Uh, okay, so he doesn't. He doesn't respond. He doesn't accept interruption. The start to end song scripting is hard one to understand. You are right, um, but you say the gem thing does make me think. I yeah. I, I would. <sighs> There's so many things. There's so many avenues that you could go down, and I just you know obviously I'd love for you to have like be in the room with Dr. Grampiche because she knows more about this than. I ever thought about learning. Um, but there are lots of different things. Like my other question for you, is there anything that goes hand in hand with his eyes when he's doing this? Because sometimes we see that there is a component that's eyes too. Like if he's look, like, is there a time when it's more or is there any time when it stops? I want to know more, Brian. We'll have to have a conversation at some point. Um, but it's important to acknowledge that he is doing it for a reason. And it's important for you to be able to connect with him. Um, And it's important um, that you find some answers. Because I think there's a way for you to transfer this. But I do want to know about yeast. And I also want to know if you've had him looked at for pandas. Um, But let's definitely talk via email. Yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to number eight here. Um, that it is not okay to make fun of someone because of their STEM behavior, and this is something that we need to uphold and be pure with ourselves, so that we set the example. It's also something that we need to teach all of our children, whether they're on the spectrum or they're not on the spectrum, that we do not make fun of someone. And this, and I know you're all like, "Well, that's duh. We wouldn't do that." But you like this includes watching on TV. This includes watching when someone can't hear you. We need to get all pristine on this, that we don't ever make fun. And that goes hand in hand with what I was just saying about when you mimic someone, you need to do this very cautiously because often what will make them mad is that they will feel like you are making fun of them. Um, that's not all kids, but there is the potential there. And if you are going to parrot what they are doing, do it as a means to connect with them. But if you see that they are angry, make sure that you back off a little bit because you don't want them to think that you are making fun of them. That can never be the, I have seen people do that where the child makes a noise. And so then they make the noise and they're doing it, it like to get them to see that it's not appropriate, which is making fun of it. We're not doing that uh use it as a connection if you must but use it sparingly uh it is not okay to let someone hurt themselves or others because it is a STEM behavior. So we talked about all these things about, you know, we need to be accepting, we need to be kind, we need to be, put ourselves in a place going, that behavior has a purpose and maybe we should leave it alone, which is a lot of what this talk should be. But I find that the flip is also a problem that there are parents who, will make the decision, and usually it's not the, self, uh, the self-injury behavior because I think we all look at that and go, okay, I don't, I don't want my child to engage in that behavior. But I've seen many times where a parent will be watching as their child hits a sibling or hits them, and they go, oh, well, it's just the autism. It's just they're their stimming, and they hit me by accident. And they and they poo-poo it and say it's okay. We don't need to do anything about it. And this I take issue with, because if we really and I hope we do buy into this idea that everything that we do has a purpose, then if I even by accidentally, let's say that I'm genuinely hand flapping and it's because it's it's something that soothes me and in the process of hand flapping. I hit you and I didn't even mean to, and I certainly didn't want to hurt you, but now something has happened. And depending on what the consequence is, I might like the consequence and I might do it again because now it's a new thing. Oh, I was hand flapping before and had no thought of hitting anybody, but now I'm going to hit somebody. And I will tell you, sometimes people do hit and and meaningfully hit. My husband and I were just talking about this the other day, the time that my, my son punched me in the head and about just took my lights out and, um, you know, here's, here's the thing is that if them hitting someone gains them control or gets them something that they want, then they learn, oh, hitting works to get what I want. This is not just people who are on the spectrum, by the way. This is, you know, people who have problems with aggression have learned if I want to get what I want that and I can't get it any other way, if I hit somebody, then I will get what I want. And this does not work. This is not acceptable. This is a, a, a fast way to hurt somebody and go to jail, right? And, and if you think for a second that our cute little adorable three-year-olds who hit can't be put in jail later on, let me tell you that there are people on the spectrum in jail for hitting someone. We, we cannot allow this behavior, first of all, to happen because um, it's, it's not good for them it's not good for society, but it will build into things that are really bad for them. So we definitely don't take a laissez-faire attitude when somebody is hurting themselves or others. We know that the way that if we need to change a STEM, we can't we absolutely can because we're going to figure out what did they what, when they hit the person what was it that they wanted and we're going to teach them how to appropriately ask for the thing that they wanted and we will make sure that when they appropriately ask for it they are given it right that is how we you know look at all stems now if it's something that is like on the inside, like I hit them because I like the feel of it. Well, there are other things that we can do like pound clay. We can get a, a, a boxing gloves and a thing and, and have them work out and they like the sound that it makes or they like the way that it feels on their hands, right? And we reinforce that. But if they hit a person, we do not reinforce that you see what I'm saying? There are ways to get the sensory needs met. There are ways to get all of those automatic reinforcing. It might take a little bit of time, but when it's crucial, when somebody is hurting themselves or others, we can, and we need to, and it needs to be a today thing, not a tomorrow thing. Um, okay. Um, Our uh, Autism Journey with Elijah says, I've seen this in Elijah's classroom and it causes meltdowns because of that behavior. I don't remember which behavior that was. I'm so sorry, Lori. Yes, I tell Elijah this every day. He has an issue with hitting anyone that he can't get his way with. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, that's... If you think about it, that makes sense, right? Um, That if, if at some point we hit... And think about the four different reasons why we do things, the five, really. We do things for attention, and if I hit you, I've got your attention, right? So if it's attention, that that might get me your attention. And if it works, I'm going to keep doing it, right? We do things um, to escape something. So if... If you're making a noise that I don't like or you're asking me to do something that I don't want to do and I don't want to do it, if I hit you, now the conversation is about me hitting you. And now you give me a timeout and I don't have to go do the thing that you just did, right? I got to escape it. Right. Um, we also, um, potentially hit because it's a sensory thing. It's automatically reinforcing. And there is a feeling and a sound that comes with hitting that for some people is deeply, deeply pleasurable. Uh, you know, think about Rocky in there, smacking the meat in the freezer. There had to be a part of that that was reinforcing to him and there was a sound that came with it and it felt good. It's not everybody's thing, but it's definitely some people's things or there would be no boxing gyms, right? Um, and then the, the fourth thing is to get something. So it, the tangible. So, or a person. So if you're babysitting me and I want mom and I hit you, now you're incapacitated and, and the person is yelling and now mom comes out, I win. Right? Or if I'm playing, um, on the playground and there, the one little girl has the last ball that there is and I want the ball. And if I ask her for the ball, she's not going to give me the ball. But if I whack her, she drops the ball. Now I get to go play with the ball until you come t- to yell at me. But I got it for a couple of minutes, right? And then the last reason why we do anything that's a little bit of an older skill is to control because we want control, and hitting sometimes is the ultimate control, right? So it's not a shock why people hit, but if we know the equation and go, okay, which one of those five things did they get, and on Tuesday at 11 a.m., they might do it for attention, and on Wednesday at 3 p.m., they might do it to gain access to something. So it's not all across the board necessarily, but in each instance, if we see that they're doing it for attention, then what we want to do is give them attention for everything else that they do except hitting, right? If if that's what they want, we're not going to give it to them for the hitting, but we're going to teach them how to say, hey, can you pay attention to me for a few minutes, right? Uh, And we'll do that with each one of the things. We'll teach them how to get their need met. And what we're talking about today is that self-stimulatory thing. So if it is Uh, a sensory thing, that they're getting a pleasure from it on the inside, then we would figure out what is it and how can we mimic that with something that is more socially appropriate than hitting? Because we can. We have the technology. Um, Okay. So, and I got to get to the last one because we are about to be out of time here. Um, I think it's super important to acknowledge that there's nothing weird or odd about stimming. If we can take that that stigma away and go, no, 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 no. There's nothing weird. There's nothing odd. Just what I was saying about hitting. There are very specific reasons why people hit. There are very specific reasons why somebody is engaging in the behavior that they're engaging in. The tough part with stimming is that, as I said in the beginning, it's an inside job. So I can't know. I can guess. And I think... One of the most interesting things for me, I mean, there's so many things that I now love about the autism community, but I love to talk to adults who will talk about how they stim, how they stimmed as a child, what it meant to them, and what what they were getting from it, how it was calming them down, or how it was stimulating them, it's fascinating. It's an entirely different world that it should not be stigmatized, should not be considered weird, should not be considered odd. It's Once they're able to communicate to you what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it, it's like somebody turns the lights on in the room and you go, oh my gosh, that's actually kind of beautiful. And so I, I end this talk by, say, by saying to you, If your child is doing something that you think is odd or that you think is weird, I think it's worth it to, you know that old saying about try to walk in another person's shoes? I think it's worth it to try it for yourself. I remember, you know, my son did hand flap, but his hand flap, there are different hand flaps, right? His hand flap was right in front of his eyes. And I remember somebody saying this to me. They were like, well, have you done it? Have you tried it? Have you tried to see what it is and what it does? And it was very eye-opening to me what this does. And I also tried the other thing, too, because I found this makes me dizzy. It didn't him. But when I tried this, this is very calming to me. Now, it might not be for you, but it's worth it to... And, and you don't do this in front of them. See what their stim is and go try it out for yourself. Be a detective. Don't, you're putting it through your filter and your filter is different than theirs. Just like I said, you know, my son was doing this. This didn't, this was not good for me, but I can see where it would be good for him, right? Um, try it and see what information you feel like it brings to your body, to your brain, to your nervous system. And, and try to get a better understanding of what it is that your kiddo is doing. This is good advice across the board. I remember when my son was at a certain age and he was starting to play video games on his Game Boy and on his phone. And we had a parent that came on and talked about how he'd just been through this tussle with his son, who was a couple years older than my son. And he said, you know, just driving me crazy. I would say, it's time for us to go. And he would say, I can't go right now. I'm playing this video game. And he would go, it's a video game. Get over it. Let's go. And his child would completely melt down. <clears throat> and then somebody said this to him. Well, have you tried playing that game? And he played the game for two days. And he said, oh, my gosh, I understand completely why he has a meltdown, because you know he said i would be engaged in a campaign and it, i would have put in all this time and and just got my troops to the point where i could you know battle and somebody says it's time to go and i will lose everything and it changed his perspective and so he would say to his son he would give his son a visual schedule for the day and he would say we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're leaving at this time and put it on the clock and everything and and he would say so This is the time where you can play in your game, and I promise I won't interrupt you, and you'll have time to build a campaign. And he started playing the game with his son, and they had a much closer relationship because of it. I think it's important for us to do that with everything about our kids. Put ourselves in their shoes and try it. And and this goes even for you, Brian. Like I would, you know, I, I think about the people that I I know people who constantly hum out loud. Um, and, and, and I have talked to some of them about what, and these are people who are not on the spectrum, by the way, I had an old roommate who, uh, is a brilliant performer and she was constantly humming. She would constantly be singing something. And, and I've talked to her about why she does that. There is a reason. And let's figure out what the reason is, first. And it might be that you need to try it in the privacy of your home to see. Uh, Okay. We are totally out of time, but I love to talk about this stuff because I think that there's a level of respect that we need to have for self-stimulatory slash automatic reinforcing behavior because it goes right back to that phrase about do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you think about all the things that you do within a day to help regulate yourself, and if I were to come up to you and say, it's all inappropriate, you need to stop it all, and you need to manage somehow in this crazy mixed-up world without all of it, first of all, I think you, if it was happening to me, I would feel judged. I would feel insecure. I would feel not accepted. I would be very afraid, and I would probably have a meltdown. So let's not do that. Let's for sure not do that. Let's create a world in which our kids get to be our kids, but let's not just also turn around the other, turn the other cheek and go, oh, it's what they're doing and so they're only ever gonna do that. I don't think that that's the ticket either. Look at each behavior. Look at what the function is. Look at it to see if it's hurting them in any way. If it's you feeling uncomfortable, let's deal with those feelings and move on. Because I am friends with women who do this constantly. And I have to just like take a chill pill when they're doing it constantly. Makes me bonkers. um, But it's part of accepting and loving them for who they are. I have to sit there sometimes and literally say, they're feeling nervous right now be here for them as they're petting their hair compulsively just saying. Um, all right. I enjoyed being here with you guys too. Thank you so much. Uh, and we're going to be back tomorrow. I believe that we are having Dr. Grand Pichet live tomorrow. I, I don't want to promise that because sometimes things come up, but I believe that we are having her live tomorrow. So feel free to send your questions in. And then we've got a great show for you on Wednesday. It's really wonderful. So make sure that you're here for that as well. All right. We will see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.